You're listening to Coffee Break with New York Wiki. I'm your host, Julie hockheiser Ilkovich. I'm here today with Judith Harrison, the Senior Vice President of Diversity and Inclusion at Weber Shanwick. Judith, thank you so much for being on this podcast. It's my pleasure. I'm so glad to be here. We are very excited to talk to you today about your job, but before we get started, I need to ask you, what's your coffee drink of choice? <laughs> I am such a caffeine addict, it's pathetic. I drink French roast. Before I leave the house in the morning, I grind the beans, I have a little bit of half and half with it, probably two and a half cups. Then I get to the office where we have a wonderful coffee bar and I have a skim cappuccino just before I start the day. And then I'm here maybe another two or three times. <laughs> at the coffee bar. The day at the coffee <laughs> bar. And I'm here so much that they don't even ask me what I want. I just hand them a cup and they know what to do. I think that's the dream, to, to know your <laughs> coffee order. Then yes. you're like, I've made it. I will true. say, Weber Shanwick, when I've been here for a meeting, you have the best coffee bar. Isn't that wonderful? It's really you. great. I love it. It's really, really great. I love it, and it's free if anyone ever comes yes. to a meeting here. It's like a full coffee shop, but uh-huh. free for employees. Incredible perk, as everyone needs to be fueled by coffee. That is so true in this business. So, yes, we are all incredibly grateful for it. And I um, I wouldn't say that's a coffee addict. I, I don't know. Maybe I'm biased. That seems like a, a fairly regular consumption. It is an extraordinarily regular consumption. And although I don't consistently pay attention to health studies because they change from year to year, um, the latest one about caffeine shows that if you drink a lot of coffee, you will live longer. So, you know, I pay attention because that makes perfect sense to me. And at this rate, I will die at roughly 152 <laughs> So just saying, I'm doing my part. I will believe that study. I would like the people who did that study to come on this podcast, talk about the benefits of coffee. Exactly. I'd love to start by really talking about your role, what the job that you do every day is. You have kind of uh, maybe a more non-traditional title. We love talking to women in communications who have different unique jobs than maybe what you're thinking of when you go to college and, and major. So what is the job? <laughs> That's the job. a tough question. You don't have to tell me what you do every day, but what is the job? Oh, it varies. But the job is making sure that Weber Shandwick has a diverse workforce and an inclusive environment in which people from all kinds of backgrounds can thrive, where they can bring their whole selves to work, and that we can use all of the perspectives and the backgrounds and the experiences they bring to create great solutions for clients and a really terrific workplace as well. So that, in a nutshell, is the job. And there are, of course, many, many moving parts to it, but that's the goal. And that's fabulous and so important. Is that a role that a lot of companies are starting to embrace in terms of having someone who's watching out and looking out for that? I think on the client side, there's been that sort of role for a long time on the agency side. I am pretty sure Weber Shabbat was among the first. I was incredibly fortunate in that I pretty much created the role for myself because I felt that it was an important thing to do. And when I thought about the legacy that I wanted to leave in the world, it was really about opening doors for women and people of color. So how do I do that? Here I am. Great. I love it. And I'd love to hear about creating the role from your, for yourself. So if we back up, I, you know, tell us about your path from college to internships to all of your jobs and 
how you created a role for yourself. We'll get there, but would like to start at the beginning. My path was so winding and unusual. It's not as though when I was in college, I thought, oh, I want to be in PR. I had no idea what PR was. So I was an English major. It was just, what do you do when you need to fall back on something? You major in English. But the plan was actually to be a singer. Um, so I wanted to sing jazz and pop. I started playing piano when I was five, I think. My uh, mother's sister was my first piano teacher. She was an opera singer and classical pianist. So I grew up playing and decided that classical music was not for me. Jazz and pop, loved it, was going to do it. And then I fell into PR because as much as I loved music, I found that there was this little thing called rent that <laughs> needed to be paid. Um, sad realization. So it was a very, very sad realization. But... I decided that PR was really much more the way for me to go. I could be happy doing this um, and fulfilled. So I found that I just worked my way through a bunch of the agency and client side jobs in communication, loved it, then went out on my own as a communications consultant, had some really good times there as well, um, and then eventually decided to transition into recruiting in HR before landing as a diversity and inclusion leader. So that's sort of the short version. That's <laughs> it's quite a journey. It's yeah, great. It is. Do you still play music? I sing from time to time in the car. Um, at home, my husband records, and he always wants me to sing with him, and he's a musician. And I keep saying, yeah, when I have time, which, right. of course, is something that never happens. Um, but I still love music. I love that. You Next time, I'll bring my recording gear, and we'll record a song. <laughs> that. <laughs> Something like God bless the child that's got his own. Um, one of my favorites. That's oh, I love so it. true. So you mentioned that you really kind of, you, you did not know about PR as a career, which is interesting. I also, I ended up majoring in PR, but when I got to college, I didn't know. In theory, I guess I knew that someone needed to help brands get recognition, but I didn't understand any the strategy behind it. So to me, that's very interesting that that, I mean, is a thing. And now maybe more and more young women know about PR, oh, I think, yes. and um, are majoring in it and understand. So that's interesting because that might, I, I you know, it's interesting that, that that's the transition this has kind of made. Mm -hmm. I think that's incredibly valuable to kind of see where there's a need and create it. Mm -hmm. What advice would you have for someone who wants to do that or who maybe even sees a void in the organization in which they work mm -hmm. and wants to create a role? I know it's very hard often with headcount and, you know, all the red tape, especially when you're a massive company. So yes. any tips you could give? I think developing a very, very strong expertise in that area is the first thing that you do. When I decided that I wanted to do this, I started writing the longest emails to my manager about what we should be doing. I was studying what the companies in the Diversity Inc. Top 50 were doing. I was actually going out and talking to diversity and inclusion leaders. I would just call them up and say, I want to start a DNI program where I am. Can I talk to you? Right. Um, and so got some tips from them and I would write these seven and eight page emails. Oh <laughs> it was deranged, but I was so passionate yeah. about it um, that finally my manager said, so would you like to do these things? And I said, yeah. Yes, thank you. Wow, <laughs> so, they saw the fire. That's lucky, that though. That was definitely there. But I did two jobs at the same time. So I had, uh, at that time, I was running a North American recruiting team for a number of agencies under the IPG umbrella, all non-advertising agencies, basically. So I did that and started the DNI function. And then I thought, 
this is going to take several years off my life. And so <laughs> I, I need to make a choice. So then that went back to what's my legacy, DNI, and so this is what I am. That's fabulous. That's great. Yeah, I think that a couple of those things that you mentioned, it's almost the same as like being an entrepreneur um, within a big company, Uh which is really cool. And I think if you like the stability of a big company, but you have an entrepreneurial spirit, that's very interesting to me to kind of like create the, you know, like as you would with a business, create that job. But luckily they have, you know, probably more money to fund it if they... (laughs) <laughs> there's that, and you know, there's also tremendous support from the C-suite, so they Great. get it. So when this job was created, before they actually gave it to me, I had to interview with the person who was then our chairman and CEO, not only of Weber Shadwick, but the business unit that we are part of, and um, it was a really interesting conversation, and he walked away convinced that we should create this position, and that's how it happened. That's great. And the the working two jobs is really interesting, too, because there must have also been this pressure of, like, you created this role, and now you have to prove it. (laughs) That's right. You asked for this, so make it happen. Right. There was definitely an element of that, but I was so conscious of how important it was to get this off the ground in the right way. And did you have goals, just thinking about someone who's listening to this and is like, I would love to do it, because I think it's fascinating, and I've also created a new roles as an organization and I think it's so fun and you know did you set goals from the beginning so you were like this is, this is what I want to get out of it from me for after a year so that you could kind of prove its worth I didn't have numerical goals yeah. um, in the beginning like this is where we are in terms of workforce diversity and this is where we want to be but definitely saw an opportunity to move the needle and I think my bigger goal was to create engagement around the whole topic mm-hmm. of diversity and inclusion so that it wasn't seen as just this thing that was sort of off to the side and done by HR um, and if everybody else had the time to devote to it after they did all the important stuff, then they'd get around to it. Right. Um, so it was really creating the business case or informing people about the business case, creating that mindset and creating a community of people who were engaged in making it happen. How long have you been in your current role here? Um, let's see. It has been... Solely diversity and inclusion for, uh, I'm going to say, six years. Wow. Okay, great. And what's your favorite part about your job? That is actually a hard question because there are so many things I really do love about this job. Um, I love finding new ways to connect with talent, both outside the organization through various partnerships and inside. I want to get to know who's here to make sure that people are feeling connected and are advancing. Um, And I really like working with clients to create diversity fellowships and programs that help the entire industry. So I think not just in terms of what works for Weber Shadwick, but I'm always thinking about what works for the industry because we as an industry have an issue. It's not here, it is everywhere. And in, would you say it's in media or just in PR or in media? I mean, obviously it's all over the world. (laughs) Yes, but it is so prevalent in media. It is so prevalent in every aspect of marketing communications. Um, and it's, it is insidious in the sense that unconscious bias fuels a lot of what we see and hear, and people aren't even aware of it. So, quick example. A couple of years ago, I did an unconscious bias training 
for Weber Shadrach. And part of it was just showing examples of unconscious bias in the media. So I think this was the beginning, it was January of 2016. And one of the beauty magazines, and I can't remember which one it was at the time, had basically this sort of what's new, what's out, in and out, I think, and um, they had maybe 10 examples. All the things that were in were pictures of white women. All the things that were rest in peace were women of color. People didn't think about it consciously, right. but there was something in the back of somebody's mind of course. that created this sort of paradigm. Um, and I think that that's the kind of thing that people don't even think about. It's just right. there, and it's, it's in the air we breathe. When you're doing a training like that, because it's so interesting, and especially unconscious bias, so a lot of us will be like, oh, no, we have no bias, which... <laughs> I mean, you see We're that we human, all do, right? We have minds, we have bias. That's just kind of how it works. And there are ways through these trainings to really bring that to the conscious level, right. and that's so interesting. That's and great. I think it's really important, too, um, for people to address it, not just in themselves. It's great to have those aha moments, and we all have them. We're like, oh, my God, I didn't know I had that bias. But then there's also how you look at it from an organizational perspective. So once you have that personal aha, then you go to... How does this crop up in our work? How does it crop up in our culture? And then how do we interrupt it? So to me, that's the natural progression. That's really interesting. Is Are there opportunities and trainings for people outside? Like if your workplace isn't offering this, that's what I'm thinking about. Because so mm-hmm. many, I mean, I have my own business. It's a smaller business. But, you know, there are lots of women out there who are running businesses or work in maybe, especially in media, smaller work environments. Are, is there a diversity kind of training and opportunities outside? That is such a great question. There are a number of diversity consultants who work with big companies. Got so it. They're not going to, they just would not be appropriate for entrepreneurs. But there's so much information online that you can um, get that will tell you about unconscious bias, that will tell you about having sort of courageous conversations as well, because I think that that's a huge sticking point for people in every business. I mean, that's good just to even know that they exist for mm-hmm. people to look at because I think it is so important. And, and it, you know, as I transition from working for major companies for myself, you do realize how many resources you're given <laughs> that you know Yes, of, exactly. <laughs> that are very expensive mm-hmm. if you need to do them yourself. <laughs> so what are some of your greatest challenges at work? So it sounds like you love your job. It's exciting. It's different every day. Um, and it's unique, which is fabulous. But what are some challenges that you face? I think one of my biggest challenges is finding the time to do everything I need to do. The pace of this business is relentless. It is mind-boggling. And I think that it's because of technology, because we are all available now 24-7. And so there is so much more information coming in and sort of bombarding us that we've got more to filter, we've got more projects to take care of, and there aren't any additional hours in the day. (laughs) So we basically are doing twice as much in the same amount of time. And to me, that is the hardest part. In terms of getting engagement and agreement and will and generosity of spirit here, that's a piece of prey. It's the time that's difficult. Yeah, I mean, I think that's what we all suffer from. I always love recording this podcast because I turn the Wi-Fi on my computer off for the hour, hour and a half. Isn't that and I'm, wonderful? I'm unplugged, I'm telling you. Yes. I'm like, no messages, yes. nothing dinging and binging. Like, it's 
a blessing. So exactly. thank you for spending this time with me. My pleasure. Are there any time management things or things that you have kind of found along the way dealing with this incredible challenge we all face? I think the biggest issue in time management, let me backtrack, it's not the biggest issue. The most helpful thing for me is to be selective about the emails and I answer. And that's hard because as women, I think we are taught to be nice and that we have to do, we have to respond to everyone um, immediately. It's not possible. Just given the pace at which we work and the demands on us, we really have to pick and choose what we're going to respond to and when we're going to do it. Because otherwise, we will have no peace of mind whatsoever. Yeah. So for me, that is a time management and sanity requirement. That's an incre- As much as it's a small thing, that's an incredible tip because so many of us are drowning in our email box. Exactly. I mean, drowning. Drowning. And mm-hmm. it's funny, I went to dinner with some friends the other night, and we were kind of thinking, is there a way that we could completely eliminate email from our life? So not communication, but like, okay, we're going to use the phone, we'll answer urgent messages via text, we will you know, use LinkedIn for professional contacts mm-hmm. that we need, we'll use a project management system with our clients. Uh-huh. Like, I don't think it's possible because it's just not, but I we're wish trying. it were. It it's really is, right, it right, is. right. But I really like the idea of like, you know, being selective. I too, I feel so much guilt around not emailing people back, but I had gotten to this point in my career where it's like, it's literally impossible. I have no time for anything else. Exactly. And I just hope that people understand, you know, I always encourage the follow up because if you don't follow up with me and it's not something urgent, like I'm never going to get to. I am so there. And for you, too, you know, if you don't do that, then you will never see your child until she goes off to college and you'll just wave at her and say, boy, you, you did great. One thing I started doing for, for myself, and I you know, work in a very specific space in content marketing, and I have my own business, um, so it's also a little different when you're working with a boss, but... Um, I started doing a day, a quarter of office hours. I just opened my time to anyone. I use an app, a tool called Calendly. I set it up. If you want my time, you can schedule it. And honestly, whatever you want to talk about, that's fine. And that's interesting also because when people email me, which I'm sure you get, and like, oh, can I pick your brain? Can I pick your brain? Which I often want to spend that time with that person, but Uh it's not possible. I'll say, well here's the link to this thing. Uh You can sign up for this half hour, hour, whatever. So that's just how I... That is a very interesting idea. I've done one so far, and it was actually great. Like, I probably had 10 calls with people. Some of them were really relevant, like, you know, uh, writers who wanted to talk about their freelance careers. Some Mm -hmm. of them were literally, I don't know why they signed up, but they just wanted to, you know, bitch about the industry, whatever. I'm Uh like, great, I had the time today. I love that. That's what I'm working on. I think maybe I'll do that. I mean, I get those requests from strangers all the time, but then I also get a thousand and one referrals. Yes. So from people who know people. Right. And want me to meet with someone who is looking for a career in the business. And that could take up a tremendous amount of time. You could spend your whole time having informational interviews. Like, it really is true. 
as you've been on your career path and you know going from job to job you've different interests and different experiences was there a sign or an experience that helped you realize that you were on the right career path you were going in the right direction or does that not exist or have you not had it yet <laughs> I actually do think there are signs um, and I got one when I started getting serious about finding ways to advance women and people of color in our business I met someone who introduced me to the New York Wiki board and brought me on, and it was a total fluke. Um, I had spoken at the career conference, I guess it was the previous November, and then my husband and I were on vacation in Budapest and Prague. So halfway around the world, right. we're sitting at breakfast one day, and we're on this tour where you know, you're with people sometimes, and then other times you're on your own. So this woman from our tour came up to us at breakfast, and she asked if she could sit with us. And I said, yeah, sure. So we started talking, and we bonded because we loved Mad Men, which was fairly new at the time. <laughs> we were just enamored with it. And then started talking about what the advertising and PR business were like back in the day. Turned out that she was an executive at Lifetime TV in New York. I think she had been, I know, she had been on the board of New York Wiki um, a few years before. She knew Nancy Nichols, who works here at Weber Shandwick, and I think at that time was president or outgoing president. And so we all got together for lunch when we got back to New York, and they said, we have to get you on the board. And then all of a sudden things started to happen and I started to get opportunities, not just in terms of my job here, but outside opportunities as well to um, join boards of other organizations that were about the same thing, about advancing women and people of color. And so it just felt like, okay, I'm listening. Right. <laughs> it was meant, meant to be. Mm -hmm. Wow, that's great. And you are going to be the next president exactly. of New York Women in Communications coming this fall. Which floors me. I am so incredibly honored. I'm so excited. Honestly, this, this organization is phenomenal in terms of the, the genuine generosity of spirit that all of the women I have met have. Um, it's really devoted to helping others, and I think that we've done a really good job of inculcating that value of giving back into the next generation. I love the fact that we interview for scholarship winners, and we are pretty good at picking out who will be the next leaders in this industry. <laughs> I think so. I agree. And actually, I agree. the interview days are among my favorites every year. And so I just love doing that and giving out the scholarships and watching these young women grow and flourish. That's fabulous. I have to give a shout out to the scholarship applicants, the scholarship winners, because the feedback I've received on this podcast is that a lot of you are listening. So thank you. <laughs> but awesome. it's, um, no, it's, it's such a great organization. And I think like to what you said, starting from the beginning of your career and seeing it all the way through, which is kind of what we're trying to do here on the podcast is talk to women at different points in their career. Exactly. I think it's so important to kind of be able to see it at every stage. Yeah. It's not just the students and the entry level women. It's women at every stage. It's women who are in big organizations who are entrepreneurs. It is, it really covers the entire waterfront of the communications landscape, which to me is getting bigger and bigger and bigger every yeah. day. Yeah. Always a hot topic, balance, <laughs> balance, balance. You know, we talk about time management, so important. I feel like at 
this point, we don't even say work-life balance maybe because are any of us doing that? Like it's more just like balance, 365 balance. Mm -hmm. You're integrating your work and your life and whatever else you need to do and your personal interests and your family. And Mm -hmm. what are your thoughts? What are your tips on work-life balance, balance? You know, how have you done it yourself? What are some challenges you faced? It's a challenge every day. So I think I think it's really important to understand and accept that there's really no such thing as yeah. work-life balance. I think it was a dream that we had back in the day, but it does not exist. Um, Especially with so, the technology that exactly, we... Exactly, yeah. which just makes so many demands on us. And so I think that there are always going to be times in our lives when we're giving 110% of our work, it feels like, or maybe that much to our families, but we may always feel that we're giving short shrift to something. Mm -hmm. There's never that perfect balance. And so I think we have to develop ways to become a little more comfortable with that discomfort. Mm -hmm. You know, that's always going to be there. It's not going anywhere because life is not going to get any slower, you know, as time goes on. So in my mind, the key to handling that is self-care, which that is critical. And I think that women are too often under the impression that self-care is selfish, that the the real reason that we should take care of ourselves is so that we will be strong enough to take care of everybody else because that's our first job. Right. That is not our first job. Our first job is taking care of us. Mm-hmm. And so we need to be able to do that just because we deserve it and because it's important, period. So whatever self-care is for you, and that could be exercise, it could be spa treatments, it could be entertainment within financial reason, because you don't (laughs) want to go crazy, but you just do it for you and no no one else in your life. And I think that that can give you a sense of serenity and peace that you would not otherwise have, and it, it enables you to just maintain your sanity as you go through the rest of your life. It's so, it's such a good point. It's so important. And, you know, what do they say? Like on an airplane, when you put the oxygen mask on yourself before helping someone else. Exactly. That's what it is. It's so, you know, so as you know, I'm a new-ish mom. And every six weeks, it's top of mind because I'm going to go tonight after this interview I go to the movies by myself. I love it. I think that's great. I just go. That is fantastic. I get junk food. For you. And I do it because I know, like you're saying, as much as I'd love to be there, tuck my daughter in bed, it's okay, one night every once in a while, mm-hmm. if I'm taking care of myself the next day, I'm going to be energized, I'm going to be refreshed, I can shut down, I don't have to look at my emails and work when I get home after mm-hmm. I put her to bed, so I love your, I follow your advice. <laughs> I love it. I think that is so great. I'm so glad you do that. <laughs> Thank you. And, and it's interesting because I, you know obviously well maybe not obviously but kind of what you're speaking to there's a especially as women there's like a feeling of like selfishness but Uh I need it like I it's so interesting to me that I can think this could be something negative when it's like I actually need this to survive yes and I was raised to believe it was negative and you know my family told me that I was sort of they didn't use the word diva because it wasn't really used that much then but that was the basic idea the concept you're such a diva and I was really quite comfortable with it. <laughs> I was. I never made any apologies for being glam. So I feel that that has been incredibly important and Great. helpful to me in my life. Because Great. life throws you enough yep. curveballs without you putting things on yourself yep. that you don't need. And I think also in the fast-paced world we're living in, 
scheduling it is so important. So yes. knowing you need to do it, but then actually doing it sounds uh-huh. clear. But I think that's what a lot of people, especially women, we know we should do that. Mm-hmm. But like for me, I put a recurring calendar invite and then if it doesn't work out, it doesn't work out. Yes. And I push it, you know, a week or whatever. That's fine. Mm-hmm. I'm not putting it before everything else necessarily. Right. But knowing that it's going to happen, I think is so important. It is. It is a beautiful thing. It's great. We are going to dive into our classically annoying interview questions. So you (laughs) worked in HR. Indeed I did. You must have heard them all, seen them all, Mm -hmm. know them all. Asked them all some of them. (laughs) Asked some of them, at least. We all have. Um, You know, these are the questions that you get asked at an interview. Like, are they trick questions? Are they real? It's almost things we think we're supposed to ask, so we do, Mm -hmm. um, but often are challenging or almost silly to answer and don't really, you don't feel like it's helping with the interview process, Mm -hmm. right? So because so many of us have asked these, we love to ask them on our podcast. So you can respond with what you think you should say or what you would really say. You, you tell me. I'll ask the question okay. and you go for it. Okay. The first one is, where do you see yourself five years from now? What I would really say would be, if Miss Cleo had died and left her practice to me, I would have a really, really good idea. But that is not what happened. So um, I am not exactly sure, but here's the truth. I will continue to do whatever I can to empower women and people of color in the communications business and beyond. I know that I will be doing that until the day I die. There is no question in my mind about that. That's great. And I think, as you say that, it makes me think, like, it's so important especially with our shifting media landscape, when you work in this industry, to know what your core value and goals are mm-hmm. because the jobs are changing. Exactly. So you, yeah. there may be a job you don't know exists or something that you never thought you'd try, but uh-huh. that'll make an easy decision, right? If you know exactly. that it's within that What's space. What's the core? If right. it's within the core, I'm doing it. If it's out of the core, I'm not. Right. It's simple. Yeah, it's really interesting. But like, for example, what's happening with magazines that are less and less editor-in-chief roles. I know. So young women who are like, I always wanted to be an editor-in-chief in a magazine, it's kind of like, why did you want to do that? Right. And then finding jobs exactly. that help connect. It's really, it's, it's a really interesting way to think about the future. Mm-hmm. I love it. Why did you leave your last job? I'm going to ask it with a very accusatory. <laughs> I love that. As I would in an interview. Why? Course. Why? And the real reason is right. that I've been there for nine years. And I had learned everything I could learn. And I had done everything I could do in my mind, and I felt it was time for something new. I wanted a new environment. I wanted a different kind of company. I wanted to work for a public company as opposed to a private company because the rules are different. Um, The structure is different. I thought that there was a lot I could learn, and I was absolutely right about that. Um, And I just wanted a different kind of challenge. It's great. Nine years in this industry at this point is like forever. Yeah, exactly. And at that time, I was I had been leading the HR roundtable of what is now the PR council for okay. three years. And so when I was ready to make a change, I just called all of my peers um, at agencies and said, "Okay, it's time. I'm ready." And so that was how I wound up here. Love it. 
That's a story in networking. The beauty of networking. Networking is one of the keeps of life. I know. And just being nice to people so that yes. when you need to call in your favor, yes. I'm telling you that you need to, it's do you so ever want to run for office? You're going to call in all those favors. It's so simple. <laughs> yeah. And, and I don't understand why people don't do it. And then they're mean to people and then they call them 20 years later. I actually have a current example. <laughs> Real <laughs> life example. 20, yeah, 20 years later saying, so I hear you're doing this and such and this is how you can help me. And I'm thinking, and I would do that because... You're me. You're what? me. Like, it's, it's, you are nice to me. Like, sometimes it's just like schoolyard rules. Like, just be nice. Yeah, I agree. Exactly. I agree. And I think we're getting towards that, especially, like, for women, beyond the advice of, like, act like a man and be... Ugh. I mean, I don't know why a man has to be mean either, but exactly. in terms of being feminine does not mean that you cannot be successful. Being exactly. nice does not mean you can't be successful. It's a very... It's a great time right. for that. Nice and assertive are not opposite. Right. I love that. That's great. Tell me about a challenge you had and how you solved it. I was saying this to me. This is such a tough one. If I'm put on the spot, although I right. should be prepared, knowing that this is going to come. I would say one of the biggest challenges I ever had was just starting a diversity and inclusion program um, because I wanted to make sure that leaders were engaged. I wanted to make sure, as we touched on before, that employees understood that this was not something that they could just leave to HR and then wait for reports every now and then, but it was really a strategic business imperative and um, and, and a real across-the-board responsibility. So as I mentioned, I was really fortunate to have an amazing C-suite that was behind me on it. So we started out with a half-day training. We brought in all the practice leaders and the GMs um, from around the country, and we gave them DEI training. And then I created a national plan that focused on workforce diversity and inclusion. And then we created committees in every office. So it was a really step-by-step process to get people to the point where they needed to be. And quite frankly, I will never, ever say that I solved the challenge, because as you know, I will never be out of work. Um, (laughs) This work will never be done. But I really can take some satisfaction in the progress that we've made and the enthusiasm with which more and more people are embracing the diversity journey. So that's that's great. great. Yeah, you must have seen it just change so much. Even though it is not solved, we have so far to go, Mm -hmm. but you, I mean, we've come so far. I am so thrilled to see the interest and the real work that is finally being put into Mm -hmm. it. For so many years, there was tons of lip service, but no actual behavior. Um, So now people are starting to get the point and, and act in ways that will help us get to where we need to be. Eventually. Right. Well, you'll never be out of work, like you said. What a great great element of your job. (laughs) And we always like to ask a kind of wackier interview question Mm -hmm. as has become the trend. I don't know if you've personally had experience with this. On our last episode, actually, the question I asked at at this part, our interviewee had actually been asked that before, which I thought was hilarious Mm -hmm. because we kind of think they're way outside the box. Mm -hmm. So this one is... We finish this interview and you step outside the office and find a lottery ticket that ends up winning $10 million. What would you do? I love this question. <laughs> this I'm, is a good one. This is, is a, this is a one. really this is good a one. one. I would invest the first $5 million. Oh, so responsible. So, but, well, not really. It's just to keep myself from spending it on shoes and handbags. <laughs> so people who know me well know that this is true. Um, <laughs> they totally get it. 
<laughs> but then I would spend the rest of the money traveling, and part of that would be cooking tours. Like, I would love to do these tours where you go to Italy, oh, and yeah, you take cooking classes. classes for a week, and you go to France, and you take some more cooking classes, that sort of thing. Um, I would also endow scholarships to create some kind of foundation to address the societal ill that I have not yet identified, but... There are many. I would just need to narrow down the list and pick one. Um, and then I would spend lots of time traveling, not just to great cities of the world, but to great beaches of the world. Oh, and God. I would just lie there with my Kindle, reading all kinds of books. And then when I was just on the verge of heat stroke, I might take a swim. <laughs> And then I would come back and read some more. And <laughs> so. then people could see your face. You just really, you lost yourself. I could see you, like, I'm visual. picturing myself <laughs> on the beach. Or I was like, whoa, she's there. I'm there. This has been so front of mind to me because... Um, you know, we had this great panel with a, a very a friend of New York Women in Communications, Fidelity, about personal finance. And I was thinking this week, if I had a lot of money, I would do all of those things, right. like travel, what I would love to do is start a program to educate young people about personal finance. I'm like, that I think that's my... great. And you were wonderful. Oh, thank panel. you so much. Thank you. I just, and this is so, it's just so front of mind when we're talking about it. Mm -hmm. And as we're looking at the questions, like if I was, you were saying like endow, endowing things, like what, mm -hmm. would, what would the good part, the charity part, a lot right. of the part would be the other stuff. Like uh -huh. what house would I buy? What shoes would right. I buy? <laughs> but that, I was like, that's what I think we need. And it's just so, that's just front of mind right now uh -huh. is education, financial education. Education for young people, You're starting in so kindergarten. Right. Yes, exactly. And I know that there are people who are building apps to yeah. do exactly that, and I think it's brilliant. And the earlier people start, the better, especially if they come from families where that's not really the tradition. Either there is no money to think about, right. you know, where can we apportion this and that because we apportion everything to rent and food and then we're done. Um, or it could just be that there are family issues that prevent people from having that sort of sensibility, even if they have the money that they can apportion properly, they don't think about it for no. one reason or another. And if they don't, they can't teach their children what they don't know. Do you have anyone that you consider a mentor, someone who has mentored you at any point in your career? I had an amazing mentor early I'd say in the midpoint of my career, when I was transitioning from being a communications account-facing person to doing recruiting and HR, um, I was at a search firm, and my favorite client became my mentor. She actually had a small PR shop. Her name was Shen Sam, and she her claim to fame was that she was Elizabeth Taylor's PR. Oh, oh my gosh, that's and quite a claim. That's quite a claim to fame. Yes, and she had been that for. 20-some years, and she was the most fascinating person. She was born in Egypt. I think her father was Egyptian. Her mother was English. They, Her parents felt that they had to get her out of the country so that she could flourish as a woman because she wouldn't be able to there. And she saw something in me um, and was wonderful to me. And I learned so much from her. And I miss her to this day. Um, in fact, if she had lived, she was planning to start a licensing business. She knew 
everybody and their brother and sister, every celebrity <laughs> you could think of. Um, and so she was going to do licensing of fragrances, which was a really big thing and remains that to this day. So she had a whole list of people she was going to work with, and she wanted me to work with her, and I was going to do that. And I remember we talked about that at breakfast one day, and she said that she was going to the doctor right after breakfast because she wasn't feeling well, and it turned out that she was pretty sick. <sighs> And um, she died maybe less than a year. I want to say less than a year later. Oh but God. she was the epitome to me of smarts, of grace, um, of assertiveness. I think she was the person who showed me that there's no contradiction between being a lady and being assertive. So um, I followed her in some ways, and I thought that she was incredible. And, and again, I, I miss her to this day. I truly do. You've carried her spirit on. That's what it, for your career. <laughs> <laughs> I've tried. In yeah. some ways, I've tried. Yeah. I was even to think about that, like, it's so crazy how our career paths completely, like, diverge and you just never know, obviously, what's going to happen exactly. or where you're going to be brought and having, you know, after that, thinking, what are you going to do, and having an open mind and figuring it out, I uh -huh. mean, that's been a big part of your journey. It has. You just really never, ever know you where, never know. you know, the right mentor or person is going to come from. Yeah, thank you for sharing that. Of it's course. a nice story. We've reached our lightning round. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'm going to ask you these questions and just give me the quick responses, the lightning responses. Mm -hmm. Best job you've ever had? The one I have right now. Amazing. Worst job? I was in marketing communications at a big consulting company where the HR manager had a Confederate flag on her wall oh that was roughly the size of Montana. So you can imagine the warm and fuzzy feeling I felt going into that office every day. It literally made me sick. I had to quit because I was getting sick. So um, that was the worst job experience I ever had. It was horrible. What state was that in? That was in New York. New York City. Right here, <gasps> New York City. Mm -hmm. That's the most scandalous thing we've said on that here. podcast. Wow. Yeah, it was pretty horrible. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. I'm glad you got out of that job. I Unscathed. did, too. Oh my yes. Gosh. My doctor actually said you need to leave. Oh <laughs> That's serious. That is serious. Mm -hmm. What's the best career advice you've ever received? Uh, it was to believe in myself and trust my gut about what was right for me. So, for instance, when I was making the decision to leave that job and I didn't have another one, I was nervous, but I just felt like my health comes first, and there are things that I just don't have to put up with in life, and this is one of them. <laughs> I am glad you followed your gut. And what's the worst career advice you've ever received? really selective memory, which I learned from my father, so... Um, <laughs> That's good. All I the bad advice just kind of, yes. like, disappears. Yes. I, I try so much to focus on what's positive because there's only so much space in my mind, and I have only so much energy, so a lot of the things that are negative just kind of fall away. That's... Wow. If we all could learn that, that's... My dad was really good at that. That's great. That's like the best thing, probably the best trait someone could have. Is there a memorable office moment you can share? What's your most memorable office moment? Something that happened in the workplace? 
It's something that happened fairly recently, actually. It was last December. I got this notification that I was in, I was one of the five finalists for PR Week's 2018 Agency Professional of the Year. And I immediately said there must be some mistake because <laughs> it had never even entered my mind to enter this competition. So how could I possibly be a finalist right. for something that I hadn't entered? So I got in touch with our communications team here to have them look into it and find out what had happened. And then they told me that our CEO and our president had actually submitted me for this. Wow. And that they had made this video of people from around the country talking about me and the work I do. Oh, I cry. I did, I did you cry? Days. Yeah. Literally, it had to be three or four days oh my that gosh. I was hysterical. That's so beautiful. Oh, well, you deserve it. Thank you deserve you. it. Thank you so much for your time. Oh. This was such a fun conversation. It's been great. I've learned so much, and I am sure the listeners have learned so much. You have so many great tips. Where can people find you if they want to connect with you? I am on Twitter at Judith Diversity. Okay. I'm on LinkedIn. Very easy to find there. Those are really my two favorite places to go. I'm on Facebook a little bit, but not really. You know, occasionally, I'll post pictures of my dog, um, <laughs> who's really cute. Um, but oh my God, I don't remember that. Noted. Noted. But I'd say Twitter and LinkedIn are probably the best. Great. Well, Judith, thank you so, so much. This has been such a fun conversation. If you want to learn more about this podcast, you can follow New York Women in Communications on Twitter at NYWICI. Or for more episodes, you can go to newyorkwiki.org slash podcast. That's nywici.org slash podcast. Don't forget to rate and review us on Apple Podcast, and we will see you next time. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to Coffee Break with New York Wiki. I'm your host, Julie hockheiser Ilkovich. Thank you to the amazing team that works on this podcast. Chelsea Orcutt, Chrisanne Grise, Kylie Harris, Elizabeth Roberts, Andrea Goldstein, Mandy Carr, and Alex Fetter, who wrote our original theme music. For more information about Coffee Break with New York Wiki, go to newyorkwiki.org slash podcast. That's nywici.org slash podcast. Thanks for listening.